I think it'd be cool if we could do like a cold opening where we we just chat for a little bit at first and then ideally get a snip from there to like open with. Okay. And then go to the intro later, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fine. If we're going to have guests every time and you don't necessarily want to do the intro with the guest or for the guest, we can always just come back to the intros afterwards. That's probably a good idea. I could just do the intro. Like I could do it now, right? Or I could do it later or whatever. Yeah. I kind of wanted to mention how... You know, I hate these people that when uh, it's a bull market and everyone's making money and having fun, they do projects. And then the second that the market turns, they just ditch it and bail. And I, d- I don't want people to think that's what we did because it kind of looks like it is. But honestly, like, uh, I think I don't really think that was why. Like, we've been wanting to keep doing the podcast. We just had like a lot of different people doing different things in their lives. And it was hard to coordinate and we had a little bit of inertia trying to figure out a new name. And yeah, yeah. That, I mean, we could even splice that in. That was pretty honest. Jimmy has yeah, yeah, like you cut you guys have met before in person right yeah we met not too long ago he was out here and yeah, we hung out so guys hey Jimmy so we're, we're kind of um rebooting our podcast that we used to do and kind of just hang out talk about what's going on in the market super casual and uh, just kind of get your thoughts on general kind of stuff that's going on thanks uh, so much for joining us um this is sort of like episode one of our reboot we we used to be called uh, the looks rare podcast which we named like right before looks rare exchange came out and so that was a, a little bit confusing although i think all seven users of looks rare at this point maybe it wouldn't be that confused but uh we decided to change our name because we've all round tripped our bags at this point uh, so welcome as the first guest to the round trip and pod thanks for being here thanks uh yeah I've, i think i probably made a complete round trip in the last uh, 12 or 18 months too so it seems appropriate kind of brutal my last ape sale was for 50k and of course after that i felt like such an idiot and now i'm looking i think an ape is worth about 50k so yeah i round tripped that one but in a good way i guess yeah you wait long enough so that that turns into a good trade <laughs> um so yeah we actually got the we got to meet and hang out what was that like two or three months ago now yes three months ago i was on my yeah. honeymoon you were kind enough to be host for the day and uh really got a lot out of that it was uh great hike and uh just really enjoyed speaking to you for a couple hours about you know just the space and everything else and it always reminds me like just how human we all are and we're all normal people leading normal lives and you know no matter how well or not and how much time we end up spending here like we all have lives outside of NFTs and they're very interesting lives and we're all dynamic people and so you know that was one thing that you know has stuck with me after spending time with you so I really enjoyed that I appreciate that yeah, same here. I mean, it was super fun. And I think, you know, it kind of always starts out as like a DM. I think you DM me like, hey, I think you're in Kauai. We're going there. You know, let me know if you want to hang out. And then I think I responded. And then there was like a little bit of a lull. And I think probably both of us were like, I don't know if I really want to hang out with some random person. I don't know. But yeah, like you said, it ended up being 100% fun and awesome experience. And I would, I would encourage anyone out there, you know, if there's someone you've been talking to off and on over the years with nft space and you have a chance to meet or hang out you know i I would say 90 plus percent of the time it's going to be super fun so definitely try to take advantage of that it's it it does put a different perspective on things when you know people tweet stuff it's like you don't really get a sense of who they are as a person i think it definitely helps to realize that like all these cartoon avatars and stuff are actually real people yeah it was great and i have to say like my wife and i have not been able to give up on the idea of potentially moving to Hawaii for the last three months. So it's like, oh, I love it. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. We, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but uh, I guess maybe we should start. I do want to talk about ERC 6551, but maybe we could start about talking about just the market in general. And obviously it's dismal kind of, and 
a lot of um, doom and gloom. A lot of the floor prices and all that are, are down. But uh, curious kind of how you're feeling as someone who's been in this market for like six plus years, a super OG veteran of the space, seeing some ups and downs, kind of where, where's your head at right now? You know, uh, we, we all have our own unique take on what this is and causes and everything else. I think, you know, there's a lot of great opinions out there. I personally am kind of a sentiment trader in general and um, trying to understand what the sentiment is and then what causes the sentiment. Um, are where I spend a lot of my time thinking about markets rather than focusing on specific floor prices or anything like that. And I feel like, you know, it's obvious to me, and it's probably obvious to us, but saying it out loud, you know, it, this all started obviously last year with the crash of like Luna and then eventually FTX. And this has been a slow bleed ever since. The overall economy is not in great shape either. We've been trying to stave off a recession um there's a lot of uncertainty in financial markets let alone uncertainty in crypto markets in addition to that and if you look at what nfts are and even crypto to a certain extent they are one of the first things someone would get rid of if they had to get rid of it to pay their bills do stuff in life and so in my opinion the market prices have been going you know, the market has been adjusting downward since that Luna crash and have continued on that same trend. Nothing has changed substantially um, that would have impacted the markets in either direction. So we will continue to bleed out for some time until we see some sort of, you know, new sentiment change. And um, I'm not sure what that'll look like. Um, you know, for NFTs in 2021 that started with like a, a run on top shot and then some other projects came out and then eventually board apes and um that really put a lot of attention on the space and a lot of new money came into the space um so we have another event like that whatever that might be i expect things will continue this way especially with the economy continuing in the direction that it's continuing in we have so much uncertainty in the world right now um, a lot of that's just bleeding those sentiments just bleed directly into our space we're not immune from it we did manage to stay somewhat immune from some of those uh, outside dynamics for a period of time. And I think that's why people found retreat in the NFT space. But now we're somewhat integrated into the world. And with that, all the problems that the world has come with it. And I just think that this isn't like the end of NFTs or anything like that. This is just a wider symptom and a wider symptom of things going on in the world that impacts us as well. So that's my kind of overall take on the NFT market. Do you think being around for so long gives you a bias? Like I still have a lot of times where I wake up and I look at some of the prices of these things, even like today, and I, I go, a board ape is what, $60,000 and a CryptoPunk is $85,000 for the cheapest one on sale. And in a way, it's like, that just blows my mind because like a part of me is like, well, who would pay that for this? And even after all the stuff you just mentioned, all the doom and gloom, like, that's still a lot of money, you know? Yeah. I mean, right now, is there a compelling reason? So like, again, so you already have CryptoPunks. You already have apes if you want apes. I have CryptoPunks. I have all the apes I want, even if these are good prices, so to speak. I think that perhaps folks like you and me understand that it doesn't really help anything for us to go in and, and buy those. Or even at this point, it's not really dollar cost averaging down. Probably we're probably paying more than we originally paid to get in. And so that's one of the reasons that it seems like it's not, you know, worth it, so to speak, is right now there's not a lot of 
uh, attention around the, let's use Board Apes as an example, the Board Apes um, community itself. Uh, a lot of the focus right now is on the other side and gaming and heavy metal and all the other assets. People are probably wondering what's the point of a Yuga NFT or a, sorry, a Board Ape NFT at this moment in time. Um, similarly for punks, maybe, I mean, I think punks still probably the reason we, you mentioned 60 K for a ape and 85 for, or so for a punk, you know, punks still have that, um, original, you know, NFT PFP, uh, shine on it and it always will. So they're probably trading a little higher right now because it doesn't really necessitate community or any ongoing efforts from Yuga labs, even though they're both owned by Yuga labs, the projects are just inherently different. Um, Yes, at times the stuff all feels really ridiculous. Um, to me, it's not. A, I don't get that reaction as much with the stuff that I own because I still have conviction for a lot of the projects that I own. Um, I would not be totally upset if they ended up being worth a little less than they are now. I would obviously be happy if they're worth more. But it's some of the other projects that actually capture me that I'm like, wow, are people really paying that much for? I don't want to call any specific project out, but. Are really people paying that much for this and why are they assigning you know why is call it out eight figures go ahead <laughs> no i don't want to because i actually <laughs> no i i think that i don't want to dog projects that are trying you know like sure sure they're trying you know sure so the most of the reason that the price moves on nft right now is because founders are willing to promise the world hype the project and everything else i mean and that could perhaps lead into a conversation around the recent azuki drop as well and how that has played out and you know i'm wondering if you guys thought that there was going to be a different outcome regardless of what the art was or anything because we seem to be in the cycle where things get hyped so far beyond expectations even if it's not a dated expectation everybody just expects the world and then the drops no normally don't like get people too excited after the fact it's usually all of the hype leading up to the reveal and then Sometimes there's some cool stuff, but usually, you know, it's not like that. A two ETH mint price is pretty expensive. There's been very few projects that have come out at that level of being that floor price in the long run. So I don't know. I, I think that, you know, Azuki was, is still full of promises and hope and everything else. And that got everybody hyped up that didn't live up to its expectation, which I think was literally impossible. And now we're, that project's also in a weird situation. So, yeah, um, I had a couple of thoughts on the Zuki thing. I mean, yeah, the bullish reveal is like a unicorn. It's impossible, especially in this market. So there's no way, like you could have the best reveal ever art-wise or some kind of new technology or some really cool mechanism. And still the floor price of the original uh, Azuki's was going to drop. It's like inevitable. Having said that, I don't know that it wouldn't, you know, I think it dropped way more than it needed to because of the way they executed. And I just can't. You know, as someone who's worked on a project myself, and obviously you have too, and, and they have so many resources and, and they have like a whole team and like, you know, top one of these top super high profile projects, I cannot imagine them looking at this release and going, this is going to be like, people are going to love this. Like, how did they think that people were going to love it when it's the, they're just putting out 20,000 more of the exact same thing and without warning, right? Like if they had said a long time ago, this is what we're going to do, you know, fine. But like, if you're going to hide the reveal and, and hype it, and then that's your result. It's like, I don't see how anyone could have thought that was going to have a positive outcome. That That's what puzzles me so much. Yeah. I think I'm not, I, I totally agree with you here. I think I'm not 
showing their work ahead of time and setting the proper expectation that this is going to be similar to the art that already exists because we want to expand on that IP. And I have some thoughts there. I'll return to that in a second. I think that was their biggest mistake by far. It wasn't the fact that it is the same. It wasn't starting out at 2E. I think it was, it feels like almost like a bait and switch or just generally what this ends up feeling like is if you're an original Azuki holder is that you just got diluted somehow. Um, and whether you got a piece of that dilution, like it ends up feeling that way because I actually think in the long run for Azuki, keeping the art generally the same and expanding it that way wasn't a bad move. Um, I mean, if you look at my own collection, Avastars, we have 25,000 and then replicants, you can potentially create another 25,000 and it's all in the same collection. It's expanding collection to meet the demands of an ever growing NFT space. And I think keeping it the same does do a good job of allowing new entrants to feel like they're a part of that ecosystem and an authentic part of it, a secondary, you know, citizen in some way. And I think in the long run, that can actually be a good thing. Uh, because if you think about it, we don't matter, the current NFT collectors, we don't matter. What matters is the orders of magnitude more people who are going to come into this space and that they're able to also experience uh, some of the joy that we experienced in collecting these things, perhaps some of the financial upside as well. Um, the reality is that you can try to take care of your existing holders as long as possible. And of course, every company and business is going to do that. But at the end of the day, it's all about more people into the space that helps the people that are existing holders and everything else. And that should become the focus of a lot of projects over time. In, in doing the best they can to preserve, of course, the core uh, collector base and taking care of them. But it, it can't always be about just taking care of these people who have already made it and not helping out the people who are still trying to make it. Um, that doesn't really add up to anything positive overall. So I do think that the drop was is going to be a net positive, but it's definitely uh, a ding on the OG holders and the way they executed it, not communicating this ahead of time. Um, was pretty horrible. Also, the last thought there is if they were going to do things, if they had just taken out humans and done pets and the spirits or whatever, like I actually think that could have been a complete drop in itself and that would have been better. I don't know how this gets past their team either, that this wasn't the exact outcome that was going to play out because it all seems so obvious. And if you had asked me beforehand if how this would play out if you were going to do it this way, I probably would have predicted everything that I've just said about the long run will be okay, but this is going to really hit, hit hard in the short term. I mean, yeah, do do mostly animals. The animals were cool. And then have like very few humans that have like, I don't know, some way to tell the difference between the old ones and the new ones. And then those humans would actually be rare, but they flipped it. And I mean, it just seems like it's a one-on-one. Yeah, I, I don't get it. But um, that, and I think what you're saying- it makes is, you wonder if they do have any new and original ideas, you know, and if this whole thing is like tied up in like some sort of short animated series or something, which cool, but how many short, like there's so much media and entertainment out there these days. Like you have to have something yeah. substantially more to break through. And even if you look at a separate example of trying to express the IP, like the pudgy penguins, you know, their toys, you know, it seems to me that it was mostly like holders who are buying those things and I'm not sure how far outside of like the holder base like the toys are, are breaking either or will be expected to break so you know the efforts that were the things that people get excited about like they're not like you know this isn't like uh 
making a overnight success because you're launching a toy or you're launching an animated series or something like that. It takes so much more than that and so much more than the existing holders. Um, that's just spark. It has to be about the greater thing. So I, I'm not sure, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm still very bullish on Yuga. I know they're getting a lot of hate right now, but they're building, they're executing, um, they're, they're aiming for the masses. Um, also another reason I like doodles is because they're trying to aim for something greater and understand all the things that I was just saying. They seem to get that this is about something greater than just the existing holders. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so hard to be a founder and to do this right. Like another example, I think to look at would be Moonbirds, which had so much promise. And it's one thing mm-hmm. if, you know, everyone, you know, Kevin Rose is getting all kinds of FUD and I'm sure some of it's deserved, but at the same time, like, it's not like he's not trying and it's not like he doesn't have, he has a team of, of people. Like I put out a tweet the other day, like you look what's happened to their floor price, which unfortunately is kind of how we judge these product products. And you say, oh, gee, like this is a total failure. But then, you know, he's still building and he has a runway. They haven't announced what their runway is, but they apparently have a long runway. They have a team of people. They're trying really hard every day. Like they're not half-assing it and they're not, yeah, they've made some mistakes, but it's, it, on one hand, it's kind of hard for me to believe that they're not going to turn the ship around. Uh, well, the problem is, is that all, all of this follows Kevin. I like Kevin, by the way, as a person. He seems like a great guy. I followed him in Web2 through his journey in Google Ventures, trying several different startups after uh, Dig. Um, and honestly, like, it seems like he's following the same trends that he's followed since Dig, which Kevin is not afraid to experiment and throw things against the wall and see what sticks. Unfortunately, this came with a community element attached to it and so then you're kind of like a kickstarter and you have all these expectations and all these people who expect things from you like in my opinion his projects have followed kevin's whims and learnings in the space um when he got into it um you know he had bought bought punks he was you know talking to gary early on about you know the nft space and understanding it he came out with moonbirds which the art was great like it kind of captured like that you know uh punks aesthetic in a way with the new style of art but then he flipped the script a few months later and went from having commercial rights on chain, which were the things he was obviously interested in at the time, to now all of a sudden Moonbirds are CCO. Um, and then obviously trying to marry the Moonbirds and Grails, the proof stuff you know, together, um, ends up evolving into, well, let's focus on art because you know Kevin's also an art collector and has gotten to know some of these artists along the way. So then it becomes, well, this could be a pass for art, a community for art, which, you know, there's other projects out there doing similar things. And he's probably seen that and wants to go in that direction. So I think what we've seen is Kevin is an individual evolving through the space as a collector, much like many of us have. And his project evolving, his projects evolving alongside of him and his understandings and learnings and what he wants to be in the space. Kevin's in an unfortunate position in this case of already being popular and already having notoriety. So any moves he makes, no matter how small, seem much bigger and then have a larger impact overall. So I think the CCO, the move from commercial rights to CCO was a real kick in the balls for a lot of collectors, such as myself, who had bought Moonbirds, not at Mint, but above 10 ETH, 80, 10 ETH, to you know, potentially put into my IP rights collection and, and work with that way. Um, you know, it. It, they had a lot of loyal loyal fans and everything else, um, but the floor prices bled directly 
like increasingly downward ever since that announcement. So I pin that as like the big mistake that really uh, sealed their at least short midterm field. I do think they'll figure it out. If they have enough money, anybody's going to figure it out. Or say they can stick in the game long enough to figure out and listen to their customers and try to you know identify market trends. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not been a fun ride now. Yeah, I've been pretty critical of Kevin too. I mean, I think I ended up maybe. I might have actually broken even on Moonbirds or whatever. Certainly, there was a point where I was up a ton and round trip those. I sold on the announcement. When they announced that, I gave it a day or two to see why, and they never really said why. And then I said, all right, well, I saw a little bit of hate towards IP rights, to be honest with you. And then I was like, you know what? This is for me. I'm out. I probably cleared, you know, before taxes, like an ETH or two on each of the two or three that I sold. So. And I think that's a good point too. Like you don't want to just hang on to something just to hang on to it. Like if it's not what you thought you were getting into, yeah, especially if you're not going to lose money, maybe just sell it and move on because they, 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 right. I was fortunate to make that call beforehand. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to make that call after it's already down, yeah. you know, cut your losses. I sold a bunch of stuff. Gosh, it must've been, I don't even know when, eight months ago or something, six months ago. And at the time it, it was painful because most of it was for a loss. But looking back on it, like, you know, stuff's down like 80% since then. So it can always go lower, I guess, is my point, unfortunately. Yep. Yep. Um, I hated having to make a big sale of Yuga assets, you know, when I was in Hawaii. But uh, it was, uh, it ended up being the right move at the time. And it looks even better, you know, now three months later. So, you know, the only regrets I had there is I didn't make that move sooner. So. We wonder what happened because, like, Scaly's like, Oh, I met Jimmy in Hawaii, a really great guy. And then, like, two, three days later, you start dumping apes. So we're like, What did you say to this guy? Like, Oh, I completely blame uh, Scaly. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna me on that hike. <laughs> I was gonna bring that up. Everyone in the chat was like, Dude, what'd you tell Jimmy? <laughs> I'll be, I'll, I mean, look, I had, I had enough money to pay my taxes, but then I was pretty much gonna be tapped out. So I had to like re up the till, you know, I had to fill up the coffers or whatever. But I woke up. And I'm looking out after two weeks in Hawaii, just looking out over Hanalei Bay, watching waterfalls and rainbows and shit, like literally just out of my bed. And I was like, you know, I'd rather have a fucking house in Hawaii than seven apes or whatever it costs, right? So like that was the mindset that like actually kicked off my big trade that I made was that like, you know, I have so many NFTs and I still have so many apes. I have so many mutants. I still have so many of what I sold. Um, I felt like I needed to get more of my, um, I needed to get more tangibility in the real world than rather just in the metaverse. And, uh, I still have an inordinate amount of wealth in the metaverse, but I've managed to get a little bit, you know, into the real world as well. And I don't feel the least bit guilty about that. You know, it's just the name of the game. Yeah. And you're still way over allocated it at these anyway i mean the funny thing is if it, absolutely if we met with like a regular financial planner kind of person they would tell us to probably sell 90 percent of our stuff today you know yep even right now at these prices still sell it right now you know and maybe it's even a good call but like you know i also put myself in a position where i can kind of ride this wave and let the this this trough you know emerge and then um we'll ride it back up yeah for me i'm, I'm committed at this point like i made my moves I, I could have of course done a lot better but i made my moves a while ago and i just told myself at this point the stuff i'm holding is stuff i want to hold and i'm just going to ride this yep where it's going to go and if it goes to zero so be it you know yeah that's where i'm at too man that's a nice place to be i mean you need to do whatever makes you comfortable and not always be sweating the daily price moves or it'll go crazy i think i wanted to 
circle back when you're talking about the macro conditions i do think it's a little interesting like i'm not like a big stock market expert but apparently like if with the nasdaq or the s&p 500 if you take out like the few companies that are doing really well like the overall market's actually not doing well but it's sort of misleading right because you know so much so much of it is focused on just those few companies and then i also think it's interesting that if like if you graph i don't know if you can find this stuff to, to look at visually but like if you look at a graph of the stock market over the last year crypto prices over the last year and then nft prices over the last year like like i said the stock market hasn't done badly but it's sort of misleading you know crypto from the luna days has doubled you know i mean at least eth has right mm-hmm. i mean it went down to a thousand bucks mm-hmm. and now it's two thousand Whereas so, yeah. so ETH has doubled and NFTs have gone down ninety percent. I don't know. So, what do you think accounts for that big? You know, like obviously, if that's not all consistent with macro environment, like I know NFTs are a super risk on asset, and this is a yeah. Risk those on. typically get priced in so and NFTs get priced more in cash in a bear market, more in uh, a native token in a bull market as well. Yeah. So. With the rise in the price of Ethereum and stagnation and or lull in NFT markets, you would expect the price in Ethereum to go down on NFTs, which they've done. So that's I think that's one indicator. Um, look, uh, we are we the reason Ethereum is up is because the overall financial markets are in turmoil. I mean, how much inflation have we really right. faced over the last few years? How much money did we print? I still personally see. Ethereum and others will see Bitcoin in a similar light as a hedge against that inflation. Um, I feel like I've done better keeping what portion of money I have in Ethereum than I would have if I just held it in cash. And I think that that's that it's gone up since that Luna crash um, is kind of an indication that other people feel the same way. You stake your E? No, I'm not a staking fan. I think it's a LARP. I think I think that shit's gonna get like you know curtailed hard one day. I I also could have made a bunch of money off of staking eight probably, but I opted not to go down that route either. I, I didn't think that was the right way. I'm still not Pep. Do you stake any of your ETH? No, I don't. That surprises me. I thought maybe you would because I don't know on stakes quite a bit, and I think Deb stakes some. Like a lot of the guys we're friends with are pretty big into deep staking, but. It just seems to me like the opportunity cost isn't worth 4% a year. Like, I could invest that ETH. Well, fluctuation could be greater than 4% on a given day, it feels like. So, right. You know, but if you believe in ETH and you're stacking just ETH against it, then like the 4% ETH Ethereum, like, it's not a bad play. I mean, I've held ETH for a year, but until like the network's actually like reliant on staking and you're serving a true function of the network, I, I mean, again, Staking for staking stake, I'm not a fan of. If there's a purpose behind it, it's legitimate, then I'm a fan, I guess. But uh, I, I haven't, I'm not messing with it, to be honest. I'm just staying. staying yeah, out. I mean, you could do all this cute stuff, right? Where you can stake it and get liquid tokens and then stake those or, or borrow against it. Yeah, to get more ETH. And I, I just, I don't have the risk tolerance for that. That was the play when like MakerDAO came out too, right? It was like, you get a little yeah, it's maker down. leverage long on the yeah. I'm not. I'm typically not a leverage player. Like I, I don't trade on yeah. leverage. Um, you know, old old lesson I learned. My parents love to gamble, but the lesson was always never gamble with money you don't have. So yeah, I kind of you know apply that here as well. So let's talk about the six five five one. You said you actually got to meet the guy who uh, created it. Well, yeah, I did, uh, Benny Jiang. I hope I said his name last name correctly, but Benny. Uh, 
is a CryptoKitties founder. He was one of the founding CryptoKitties team. And I was a big CryptoKitties collector, you know, for you. And I went and met him a couple of different times in, on, um, in Vancouver and got to know him at some different conferences. Anyways, he left CryptoKitties team eventually and he started the company that created this ERC6551 standard. And I had a call with him, um, you know, probably five or six months ago to talk about it. And I thought it was extremely interesting. It reminded me a lot of a project that came out in, uh, I think it was late 2021. It could have been early 2021 called DAVA, D-A-V-A, DAVA project. They're out of South Korea. And it was, uh, it was right before we had a major spike in gas and the idea of transferring asset, transferring trades between your NFTs, um, became not economically feasible. So it was unfortunately kind of DOA because the gas spike that happened right before they launched. The DAVA project was interesting because each NFT had its own wallet and you could put anything in that wallet and the, what they leveraged for that through the NFT collection was to get clothing or specific traits for your NFT, you would transfer those into the that NFT's wallet and it would be wearing those clothing items, um, which is probably a lot of the same way we're going to see this executed going forward. But instead of it just being baked into one project, 6551 standardizes this and encourages everybody to use it. Um, so essentially, yeah, what it becomes is it's a nested wallet. That NFT actually has the wallet within it and whoever owns the NFT has control over that wallet and the functions of that wallet. Um, so you could put, you know, 100 NFTs and 100 ETH um, into this NFT's wallet, transfer that NFT and all those things go with it for better or worse. Maybe you intended to do that, maybe you forgot. Um, but that's the crux of what it is. It's a wallet that your NFTs hold. So everything a wallet can do, 6551 can do within the scope of a specific NFT holding that wallet. Then I read that it's backwards compatible, which is cool, but I don't quite understand. So let's say I have a CryptoPunk and I want to make that my wallet and I want that wallet to hold all of my art. Uh, how would I set that up? I haven't read the code, but yeah. my guess is, is that you, as like the CryptoPunks developers would have to update the contract to, your yeah, I mean, one. Punks is ERC-20. So maybe not Punks, but let's say an ape, or let's say I'm an ape and I want to do that. Um, I think again, it would have to be updated and maybe that's a bad example because the ink contract has also had their keys burned. Okay. So let's say Avastars, for example. Yeah, okay, Avastars. Do you have the keys? Sure. Um, you could do that, right? I'm sure it's a matter of adding in something to your smart contract and then that probably um, enables this functionality on each of your NFTs. It's, it's, I assume it's much like if you wanted to like control where your NFTs could be listed on what marketplace you have to do a smart contract update. So um, I don't, I'm, I'm guessing this isn't one giant smart contract that holds any NFTs and you go register it there independently. Um, that doesn't seem like that would scale properly. So I'm guessing it's the, the former where I was saying you probably as a contract owner have to make that up. Yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking it would be uh, like, like I'm just starting to get my head around what, the, what are the different things you could do with it. Like, um, for example, like obviously like gaming would make sense if you're like a character and that's your NFT. And then every time everything you get for that character in the game goes in that same wallet and they could almost be uh, soul bound tokens. So like you can't ever transfer them. But if eventually you're like, I have this badass character with all these different weapons and clothes and stuff, I'm going to sell the whole package in one yep. transaction 
And that makes a lot. So of that's sense. definitely the gaming use case and or like if you even just take it down to an individual item, that item, if I'm playing Diablo 4 right now, and that item that you have could have up to like four different affixes to it or, you know, different stats and then like special items. And so an item itself could hold five, six, ten properties that are perhaps variables that can change and aren't fixed variables. Um, so you can imagine like even just an item itself having um, that sort of functionality. The, you know, the other, that's gaming. You know, for me, I've always been excited about the prospect of, I, I don't think wallets are great forms of identity. I think they hold identities. I think NFTs are a form of identity. Um, we use them as PFP. That's a very primitive example. But if you think about this now, NFT can hold all these things. That's cool. Um, but now what if you can log in as that NFT? Um, and, you know, there's already, I'm not sure if 6551 addresses that directly, but the the project uh, Tion Corporation, they make uh, the stars and the planets. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Been around for five years. I forget the name of the project, but you can log in with your NFT. Literally log in with your NFT. You're not logging in with your wallet. Your wallet is the signature of your NFT because it's in your wallet and it's looking for the signature of that wallet. But being able to log in and have an NFT as your identity and being able to move it to another wallet um, easily and transfer whatever whatever NFTs or assets are in that NFT. Now it's more feasible for an NFT to be your identity rather than your wallet. If you assume for OPSEC purposes, you decide you're going to change your wallet address every single day. So you're moving that NFT with all. I'm not saying this is a good idea. Just saying you decide you're going to do it every single day. You move that thing every single day. All of a sudden, no one can nail you down to a wallet address. They can follow the the trail, but you have a new wallet address, fresh and new every single day for whatever purpose. But that NFT in your wallet serves as your identity wherever it is that you're logging in day to day. It doesn't matter what your wallet address is. You don't have to update anything because it's actually looking for the NFT for your account rather than looking for the wallet address or other ways we log into Web3 today. Yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. And then another thing I was thinking is like you could have something about airdrops where it seems like it's a less messy way to do airdrops, right? So like you would you would just drop them to the NFT rather than the address. I don't agree all this messy. Yeah, one of my friends was pointing out that like, how is it any less messy? Now you're just getting all this shit inside of your NFT itself. You're just not getting it in the wallet. It's no different though. It's just a layer. Well, I guess, yeah, I'm not talking about spam, but I guess like um, if you, let's say you qualify for an airdrop and you go to claim and then after you claim it, you try to sell your NFT and, you know, people can't tell if they've claimed it already and they're overpaying or if you're, you know, like if, let's say Avastar. Okay, right. So you would look for it in the wallet. I mean, I, I, I guess if it was soul bound or something, I mean, I, I guess what, I guess I get what you're saying, like, but I still don't think that that would create a situation where developers would opt to airdrop instead of claim. If that's what you're driving towards, unless for some reason it's somehow, I don't see it being any cheaper to transfer well, the NFTs. I guess if the NFT, cause I'm not as technical as you, but if the NFT qualifies you for the airdrop, then you're never going to be able to claim it twice right like because you don't care what address it's going to you just send it to the nft and then or, or let them claim based on the nft um yeah but that the, doesn't change that doesn't that doesn't simplify anything with yeah, current does like agree. stuff you still have to look it up right like the person yeah. you still have to look to see if the thing's been claimed or airdropped or is his name yeah benny was on a podcast with laura shin the other day i, I swear he said something maybe it's the other guy he said something about you know it, it makes it a lot easier to do that and um I didn't understand. Yeah, it could also um, be marketing. 
Yeah, I couldn't. I didn't quite understand how that really was the case, and I had a ton of questions about it. But anyway, it seems really interesting, and I think we'll start to see some cool stuff with it. It's cool. It's it's giving NFTs more superpowers, and I always think that's really neat. And um, I expect we're going to see people do some pretty cool shit with it. The problem still remains that transferring NFTs is an expensive, often an expensive thing, and it doesn't. This doesn't work around that in any way. In fact. It may add more complexity if people are trying to do what Daba Project did, where you know this impacts like your traits and rarities and things like that. You're creating the necessity for more transactions on the the blockchain. So um, it would be cool if you could do some of this stuff with signatures, and maybe you can. Um, but I haven't dove really deeply into the standard itself. Yeah, yeah, cool. It, it does remind me of you know more like bear market times in the past, where you, you start reading about more and more things like this that sound promising. And then you stop focusing on the price and stuff and you just start learning about the tech again. And then later, some of it pans out, some of it doesn't. But like, I kind of feel like that's a good distraction. It's a good distraction. Yeah. yeah. And I actually like learning this stuff and I love being able, like the access is so easy. Like I bet you I could probably try to find that guy on Twitter and ask him and he'd probably respond, you know, which is so cool. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure Benny would jump on a call with you if she wanted to jump on a call. Um, But yeah, I totally agree. And I hope that more traders note of these things and pay attention and take this opportunity to learn rather than just focusing on floor prices. So what do you think about Yuga owning punks? Do you think they should just come out and say, hey, like we're we officially will never mess with this project? What's mess with this project mean to you? Uh, to me it means really do anything as far as with the actual NFT or try to create utility or like basically, they- I think there's a very low chance they ever change any. I think the NFT, I think the punks are punks forever. They're never going to change anything about that. That's the indication mm-hmm. I got. I mean, Wiley's not there anymore, and so maybe maybe the right captain's not steering the ship. But I know the idea behind buying those things was very much, you know, to preserve and keep these things how they are. They're important to the space, and uh, wanted to carry the torch onward. Um, I don't expect them to do nothing. I would expect them to do something with them, but I don't know what that could be. Um, I, I do expect they'll do something. I think they'll probably try to bring both MeBits and uh, Punks, you know, into more of the limelight as time goes on. Just letting them be OG again. Going back to what I was talking about earlier, you know, yeah, other people will hear about them, but like, you know, we want. A lot of other people to care about them and in order to do that you have to you know work with that ip and expand that ip in ways so expect you know hopefully they'll do more and create more opportunities for people in the future while respecting the original holders so i don't i don't expect them to do it like azuki did or anything like that I yeah, yeah like they'll always be 10k crypto bonds they'll always be you know whatever the 20,000 it's um sure but hopefully sure. they expand on that in some new and interesting ways you know I think the products like that. that will do the best in the space in the long run are the ones that are going to collaborate with many projects like other side. I think that's why other side has a great chance because so many projects can be a part of that potentially. I probably we'll take the other side of that uh, uh, argument with punks. I totally agree with other side and like you guys, like if Doodles or some other company like that could like be in the other side, like sure, that would be cool. But like for me, I think punks was different and I feel like it's more art than do you like what they've done so well so so do you like what they've done so far i think it is art by the way i think that's their yeah. end goal and that's the way they go well, I, like i don't uh, think they have to do anything like when you're saying that they need to promote awareness and like we'll, expand the ip I, I don't really agree like i kind of think that should just didn't they 
didn't they donate a punk to one of these museums or several of these museums recently? Like, weren't they the ones you go who did that? Like, these are the sort of expansions yeah. I'm talking about. Like, they had that guy Noah. That's marketing. in charge, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. it seems like a So I think that plays a part of it all. And I actually think, I think punks are art too. And I think, yeah. um, for me, pulling that art string uh, is if they continue to pull that string on art and focusing on the art community outside of the Web3 space, then I, I think that'll like be a very good thing for punks in the long run. Yeah, I, I guess what I what I worried about is, you know, when Matt and John were running it, it was basically decentralized because they did literally nothing except like update the website and occasionally mm-hmm. come in the Discord like once a month. And if you're like, they responded to me one time, but that's fine. Like, yeah. I didn't really, I had a little animosity towards them at first because when punks got popular, I kind of felt like all of us that were there early were responsible for it, and and they didn't seem to be grateful at all. But then I kind of learned later that, from what I gather, they're like nerdy programmer guys who are nice people. They just didn't want to, they didn't predict this and they didn't want it, and and that's fine. And so I don't have any animosity towards them now. What I'm worried about with Yuga is it goes from being decentralized. We're truly like the hundred of us or so who were around back then. We're all doing our own to promote it separately and not in an organized way, you know. And I can, there's a huge tree, like kind of like those coaching trees in the NFL. Like you can look at all the different things people have done that came back from punks to to advance the whole space. Like you're definitely one of them. But yep, that was all kind of us doing our own thing. Whereas now it's like it's just one person or one company, and that's what kind of makes me a little nervous. Well, it, the part that makes me nervous there is that you know Wiley's not there anymore. Gordon's gone. Gordon's a goner. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know, um, what the, what the plans are for Yuga labs as a corporation. I know like what their intent was as the founders and when they were there, um, I have to imagine that Noah though, while he wasn't, you know, of that original class or anything like that, he has a pretty good understanding of the IP and the community, I think. And I guess we have to put faith in the fact that he's going to stay like true to that community and keep it, keep it real. I think he will. Yeah. And then we also were worried that Matt and John were going to sell it to like Disney or something. And that would have been horrible. So I'm glad that did. Right. (laughs) But that was a real possibility. I mean, if they could have gotten a billion dollars or something, it would have totally ruined it. Yeah. It's crazy to think. I don't think Disney would have bought it just because of the traits, but you know, someone else like Disney, Facebook, let's say Meta. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was a real possibility. I, I bet you they had some, uh, you know, interest when they were, you know, at their all-time highs and stuff. And I, do we know what they sold it for to Yuga? I seem to remember knowing, but yeah, they didn't buy glyphs. As the glyphs were probably right at twenty-five percent of the supply. So yeah, you know, two two hundred each floor price, price more or less. Like that one probably blew the other ones. That probably made it untenable and. I don't think Yugo was super interested in obviously glyphs at the time. Um, so they were, right. you know, going to make that IP, the PFP play with the mini bits. I am kind of glad that John hung on to those auto glyphs. How many? Sure. We'll see them sell periodically. Sorry. Oh, yeah. How many glyphs do you have? Still on eight. Nice. Not. Are there any other holders besides Matt and John that have that mini? Oh yeah, hold on. Let me let me let me stop working. Here. There was somebody I was wallet stocking. You had maybe more, and I I can might have been Danny. Yeah, uh, one of my, my friend Symptomatic, uh, he has like maybe I don't. He had sixty at one point. I don't know. He probably has like thirty or forty left still. I think I saw Snowfro in an interview the other day mentioned he had the full set. 
And uh, to my knowledge, there might only be two or three full sets out there. Um, it's 12. It's 10. Uh, yeah, there's 10. So, yeah, hold on to eight. My favorites that I'm still holding on to is my mustache glyph. That one, I feel like, is one of the most distinct, if not the most distinct, collection. Um, and uh, kind of uh, just hanging in there. I see those as some of the most, probably the most valuable generative collection. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I had 30 at one point, but I managed to hang on to those eight here for the last 18 months, two years. And there's 512 or 256. I forget. 512. 512. Yeah. So for those who don't know, autoglyphs were the first on-chain generative art project, correct? Yep. And first uh, truly on-chain project, as far as I know. And hey, I, I have a bone to pick. I was listening to another podcast. Uh, it was actually Proof, and they were interviewing on-chain Monkey, and they were claiming to be the first fully on-chain PFP 10,000 PFP project. And maybe, maybe the words. Yes. Yeah, so, so there's a couple things in there. There's a lot to unpack there. It's hard too because, like, I like on-chain projects, so it's tough to like criticize on-chain projects because it comes across to me like I should be praising the fact that they're on-chain. So credit where credits due. On-chain monkeys. It's in their name. Their first thing they came out with. They did do what they did is they did a 10,000 PFP project in one transaction. Um, However, none of what they said is true because Chain Faces was the first 10,000 uh, PFP project on chain. And then Avastars was the first like on chain vector image NFT or whatever. So they weren't the first anything, to be honest with you. But that's not, they build their notoriety on that. And so it's hard for them because they kind of have to stick to it because that's what they've told so many people. And that's what a lot of people have invested in. So. Um, yeah. it's, it's bullshit though. I'm glad they did an on-chain project. Um, I had a very, very rudimentary, uh, art drawn up for Avastars initially that looked very much like on-chain monkeys. My oh, really? told me I couldn't, I could not launch that. And then I had to get real artists to do the NFT art and the project took much longer because of it, but it came out much better and I'm much more proud of what it is than just a tech demo, which is what yeah. OCM is at best. And then, yeah, I just. They're not that. So well, let me um, let me add. I mean, for people listening who weren't around back then, because that was a long time ago, like they might be saying, "Oh, well, why are you nitpicking?" And it, it's really not nitpicking because I, you know, I I was one of the people who auctioned who uh, won an auction for Avastars. I got one of the founders, and the reason I did yep. that was because it was a real important thing. It was like this is the first on-chain collection. I had a chain. I had minted you know a few chain faces for the same reason. Like I was friends with Nate and. I knew that was an important project. I mean, I didn't really love the art because it's kind of, it's very rudimentary, but like, it was cool. It was a fun project and we all had fun minting them and they were like almost free to mint. And yeah, um, like these were important milestones. These weren't things that you're looking back on later and going, oh, well, actually it was just random things. Like, no, no, no. Like that was clearly the first one. Like I remember it. And so to hear someone else say that they were the first one. And again, no, I don't know anything about their project really otherwise, but I, it actually made me mad. Like I was in the car listening to this and I'm like yelling at the radio. I'm like, no, I don't, that's not true. Well, that's why they say the first 10K PFP because Avastars was, was 25,000. Right. So they, that's why they say that. And then a few months ago, they were touting this on Twitter. And a few of us pointed out that Chain Faces was, in fact, 10K done in one transaction and everything that they claimed to be. And uh, mm-hmm. they probably then, if they had to face that argument, would probably say the first 10K vector art PFP 
they're going to add whatever yeah, qualifier they need. It's it's long tail search, right? Like a Google search. Every time you add a word into the search, there's a less chance that someone else has mm-hmm. made that search before. Um, you'd be surprised how many unique searches an individual has probably made in their life. It's more than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing. You know, you could be the first at anything if you add qualifiers. Now, what is the one transaction part of it? I didn't quite understand what that meant when they were saying it. They uploaded. They yeah. so then they created the smart contract, and in creating the smart contract, that whole transaction they fit all the data they needed into it to then generate the art for mm-hmm. uh, okay. the chain faces and or the, the OCMs in this case. So Avastars, for example, we had to do five hundred or two thousand transactions to upload all of the art much mm-hmm. higher quality than OCM. Um, mm-hmm. It still cost us, you know, only, you know, less than two ETH because gas was cheap, but it cost, it was many transactions. Chain faces, mm-hmm. OCM, they uploaded into one transaction. And what, I mean, why does that even matter? How- it doesn't matter, dude. It doesn't yeah. fucking matter. It makes no fucking difference. Nobody cares except for them. So yeah. that's, that's the, even, even Nate, Nate never bragged about, oh, this was 10,000 yeah. PFP in one transaction. Like, it's cool that that happened. But like, yeah. even Nate was realized that that's not the thing you brag about. So do the art blocks, do you know, like, for example, Fidenza's, was that all one transaction or do they have to do multiple? Art blocks is the platform, right? And I I wouldn't be surprised if it was two or three. I haven't looked. I wouldn't be surprised if it was two or three uh, contracts in order to make art blocks work. Um, but it could have very well have been uh, created in one transaction then. Each NFT project in itself is a new contract, or a, yeah, it's a new contract basically that's tied back to to that mm-hmm. platform's contract. Mm-hmm. So at least at least one contract. And then the other part about Art Blocks to note is that technically it's not fully on chain, so you're not dealing with potato potato here. You're dealing right. with something slightly different. Um, the data, the raw data pointers are present on chain that need to interact with you know the javascript that's available on web browsers so they rely on the fact very reasonably so that web browsers will have javascript available in them as long as the internet exists and so you should be able to use the web browser right it, which again is sort of nitpicking but i guess from a purity standpoint it's not exactly the same thing oh i didn't know there's plenty of hardcore on-chain folks who are not actually big fans of art blocks because they don't think it's pure on chain uh, i'm yeah. pretty hardcore on chain guy and i think art blocks are okay that's my own yeah i mean it generates them on chain right i mean meaning like yep that's a, to me the most important part and and if you live my understanding is if you take the raw data and then plug that into this specific javascript library you will get those that output that you would expect and see the art blocks so there it, it is you just have to take extra steps in order to make that happen um whereas some art is generated kind of entirely on chain even avastars for example if you render that avastars the complete code is there you still need to plug it into a web browser but you put it in a web browser and it shows up um, there's no additional libraries or dependencies other than the svg code itself with uh art blocks you may have to like install a library and run a local environment in order to like truly see it without any interaction mm-hmm. you couldn't do it without any interaction on your own and then autoglyphs would be a case where you don't need anything other than the ethereum blockchain correct uh kind of it depends on like what you're seeing on their website and what you see represented on OpenSea and everything else autoglyphs 
are as they're they're images that are rendered on like a code plotter um and it is ascii art um but it's spread out and um formatted very nicely if you were to go and generate the output on the smart contract it's going to kick out a grid of ascii art that's going to look like the autoglyph that you uh see but it's not going to be an exact uh replica representation um it's 64 characters across 64 characters down um and it's literally these typed characters you don't have the proper spacing or anything else it looks like a rectangle instead of a square um Mm -hmm. but it does render that from on chain and you the idea with autoglyphs is you a, a human can take the instructions that are present in the smart contract and recreate this exactly as it's drawn and represented or a machine plotter could take these directions it was actually written with plotting machine that draws images in mind um to take these coordinates and draw all the things out so that's how you could recreate it perfectly so to speak but the output that it renders on chain is very rudimentary and you probably wouldn't hang that on your wall as, as you would an auto autoglyph itself that's really cool yeah the way i look at it is i break it down like this like for me on chain means if there is a failure uh, to sustain the project and all the art goes away on the servers you can dig it up off as long as the ethereum blockchain exists you can dig yeah. the contract and you can still with tools that are available to you easily generate the art and if you're to argue well, yeah. well what if those tools went away well it's like well that means there's like a zombie apocalypse and there's no internet in which case ethereum's dead too so who cares yep yeah as long as ethereum exists people will be able to figure out what autoglyphs look like it's there it's just yeah. not so, the pretty exact layout, but it's there. It's it's on the yeah. chain completely. As opposed to like my Hackatel 3D piece, if somehow in a hundred years all of those images were lost, I can't go back to the super rare contract and find it. Like it's gone. It just goes to like a website pointer that's dead. That's yeah. not on chain. There are some Hackatel projects that are on chain. We help us put some of that stuff on chain. Um, I think it's sitting on the Arweave blockchain, so it does depend on that living. But we have some on chain stuff i remember i remember there was some stuff that they did that was on chain but yeah well great man this has been such an awesome conversation i think it's been about an hour so uh that's a perfect time yeah i think my wife's waiting on me to run to the hospital it was great to catch up um and uh, yeah man if you guys want to do this again in a few months i'm happy to do it we'd love to have you back on and next time you're out in Kauai, uh, definitely look me up of course for sure man we're gonna be looking to make a trip out there as soon as possible awesome i'll see you then